Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Isn't it weird how a single moment can change your entire life? One mistake can alter the trajectory of your future. One correct decision can alter your path. I often think about how different my life could have been. Like if I hadn't lost my brother in high school, how differently would my life have been? In fact, how different would the world have been? Perhaps my brother's unborn children would have cured cancer or been a pioneer for human rights. The world will never know. What if 9-11 hadn't happened? How different would the world be now? How many lives were shaped by that single disaster? Travel changed, families changed, world relations changed. Think about all the people in your life, how each person you love has shaped you in one way or another. Now think of the one person who's been the most influential in your life, that one person who's your best friend, who is there for you no matter what. Now imagine that that person has disappeared. They vanished into thin air. Imagine how your life would change. Would you be too scared to go about your normal day-to-day activities? Would you be too scared to take chances? Could you go on living life without them? This is the story of Erica Frazier. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Okay, so Allison, I know that my last episode was about a senior in high school, and so is this week's, but it was completely (laughs) coincidence. Like, it wasn't planned. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, don't worry about it, Maggie, because in some places in the U.S., especially in the northern U.S., graduation is in June, so it still works. Tis the season. Good. 
Good. Um, and this case, Allison's actually um, more local to us. This is a case from Bracken County in okay. Kentucky. So we're doing a Kentucky case this week. And like I said, Erica was a senior at Bracken County High School. So just like in the Randy Lee case, uh, Erica's high school was smaller than most. It had around um, 350 kids in her high school. And that's grades like 9 through 12. And that's way smaller than the middle wow, school. Wow, that is small. Yeah, it's smaller than the middle school I teach at. And I know it's definitely smaller than the high school where you're at. Right. I mean, we have closer to that in each grade. Mm -hmm. I mean, not quite, like, but. Yeah, because aren't they over like a thousand kids or like right at? Yeah, we have like, I'd say 250-ish in each grade. So, yeah, this is a small school. Um, Erica seemed like your average everyday student. Like she wasn't super like academic, but she was never really a problem. Um, one article I read was like an interview with her teacher and she talked about how witty Erica was and like really funny, but would pass notes with her like classmates and her friends <laughs> and things like that. Because, you know, this is like pre-cell phone. So back in the day, we had to pass notes instead of <laughs> sending text messages. That's right. Yeah. And you'd figure out like cool ways to fold the notes to pass them. Yeah. So you really had to like dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you had the code names in case anybody intercepted your notes so they wouldn't know who you're talking about. <laughs> right. Um, and from everything I read, it seemed like she really would go out of her way to put a smile on a teacher or a friend's face every day, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yes. And since Erica's high school was only like 350 kids, um, we can, you know, basically gather that she's from a small town. And like many of us small town people, most weekends were spent cruising around town in your parents' car or if you were super lucky in your own car. Yeah, because that's pretty much all there is to do in small towns. Yeah. Is cruise. Yeah, exactly. So like the town that I grew up in, is small, but then we would go to a like Pikeville is a little bit bigger than the actual town I grew up in, even though it's still small. So like we would always go there for the weekends and like cruise around the movie theater parking lot because that was what cool kids did. <laughs> like all teens in her town, Erica was cruising around town that night of October 21st, 1997. And Erica was last seen that night between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m at the Video and Tan in Brooksville, Kentucky. And I feel like Video and Tan is just so reminiscent of the 1990s. Like it totally is. Yeah, like you go get your VHS tape, you know, yes. and you go to the tanning bed. And I feel like Erica probably had like one of those Playboy bunnies, the stickers that would oh, put, yeah, totally. put on you so see how tan you were. <laughs> right. Now, so she was a senior in 97? Yeah. So that's the year that I graduated high school. Oh. But so she, so she would have been, I guess I graduated though, May 97. So she would have been the year after me if she was still yeah. a senior in October. Yeah. There was one report, Allison, and I'm going to mention it, but like I didn't see it on any other website that I looked at that actually said the last place Erica was seen was at a party. But like I said, there was only one place that I read that in. 
Okay, so most said the video went tan. Yeah, and that was like almost all news stations said that and like almost all, like almost everything that I've read said the video went tan. There was only the one place that said a party. Okay. But regardless of her location, we do know one thing for sure, and that is that Erica was never seen or heard from again after that day in October. Hmm. I know. So what could have happened to Erica? So to really think about what could have happened to her, um, let's revisit some details that we do know about her disappearance and the last time that anyone saw her. Okay. Ready. Many believe that Erica's troubles started, and I feel like we say this so many times, um, because Erica started hanging out with like a rougher crowd of kids. Oh. So she's getting involved in things that maybe she shouldn't like she, have. Yeah, and I think like things she normally wouldn't have. Mm. So her new friend group liked the party scene. Um, which, from what I read, I didn't really gather that that was really what Erica's typical scene would have been until she started hanging out with this new group of individuals. Okay, so maybe that's why there was the one rumor about the party. Yeah, I think so. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe most or maybe both could be true. Like, maybe they were going, they were at a party and then were cruising or, you know, had planned on going to a party. Like, you know, I didn't read any of that, but I'm wondering if maybe that was the case. Okay. Erica was just like many of our students, Allison. She was ready to graduate. The real world was calling her name, and she longed for the freedom that so many of our students seek, especially at the high school level. Like, by the time they get to you, Allison, I feel like they're basically done. They are so ready. But then they, I mean, they say they're ready to be gone and never come back. But then as soon as they graduate, they're like, I need to come back and visit. <laughs> and I'm like, come on back. Are you going to be in your room today so I can come visit you? That, right. <laughs> I love that though. So, but I get like wanting to start your life. Yeah. And Erica was ready to do that. And she had actually been working part-time at a pizza place so she could have her own spending cash. Like I'm sure she maybe had her eyes set on a car payment or paying for college because she even was requesting more hours at this pizza pizza shop. Okay. So she really is like trying to save. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, like what, I, from what I can tell, seems just like a really good kid. Like she's working, she's earning her own spending money, like mm-hmm. not really trying to ask her mom and dad for a lot of extra stuff. And she had plans um, after high school. She planned she had planned on attending Northern Kentucky University after graduation to become an accountant. So kudos to Erica. So good with mathematical figures, unlike us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. No. Um, today at summer school, two of the math teachers were talking about, because, you know, in middle school, they're learning percents in sixth grade, I guess. And one of the teachers was like, they just really can't grasp percents. And I was like, thinking to myself, I'm 30 and I can't grasp percents. (laughs) On the day of Erica's disappearance, everything seemed normal in her small town. Um, Quote, back then to hang out with your friends on a Friday night or Saturday night, you got into your parents' car or your own car if you were lucky enough and you went to Brooksville and you cruised town. Amanda, who was Erica's best friend at the time, told Dateline and that's just what we were doing. So it's a typical night in this small Kentucky town. 
So nothing unusual, nothing really stands out to her friend. No, and like, you know, as our listeners know, we've started doing like more, like lesser known cases. Mm -hmm. And so Erica, there was a lot of coverage on her case, but it was a lot of the same things. And I didn't read anywhere where like anybody had said, like we noticed a scary person driving around in a black minivan or you know like I never read anything like that everything just seemed like it was normal I think that's even scarier I do too like when you can't point out something strange but something so devastating happens right I do too um Erica's mother obviously trusted her daughter so she wasn't worried when Erica took the keys to her black four-door 1988 Pontiac But when Erica did not return home, her mother did actually phone police pretty quickly. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, you know, she was hanging out with that different group of people. And because that group of people had a reputation in town of partying, many in the community believed that Erica was just being a rebellious teen and would eventually show up. And even police, like, had this assumption of her. That angers me. Yeah, y'all already know how I feel about this. Yeah. Yeah. Same. The assumption that just because, you know, first of all, I don't like the assumption anyway, because I, I'm always like better safe than sorry. So I feel like they should always treat it seriously and they should never dismiss. But especially yeah. if they're judging Erica because of the other people around her. And not her own actions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like my, I've talked to my mom about this. Like obviously Anthony and I don't have any kids yet, but like I've kind of talked to my mom about like how would, as a parent, like how do you handle like if your kid comes home and they're like hanging out with people you don't really approve of, you know, Mm -hmm. like how do you, what do you say and do as a parent? And like, Mm -hmm. I just am a firm believer that you can be nice and be friends with everyone. That doesn't mean you have to be like them. So just because she was with a group of kids who party doesn't mean that's how she was. Right. Exactly. And even if they party doesn't mean that they, they didn't meet with foul play either. You know, if something had happened to them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the same thing with like people with mental health issues that doesn't discredit like what happens to them just because they have a history of, like a mental health issue. So is this like, I mean, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I guess it's pretty common then. So I actually was really curious about that. And I really tried to Google um, and see if I could find like how many missing children are labeled initially as like runaways or just like they'll show up later type cases. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really find like a specific answer Maybe I just wasn't using like the correct word combination, but I did find one interesting statistic on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Uh And it said that nearly 26,500 runaways are reported to them, like were reported to them in the year 2020. And one in six of those are victims of sex sex trafficking. And I feel like that's a massive number. One in six? Yeah, that's like over 4,000 kids, is it not? Oh 
My, well, there's our percentage. See, I'm good with percentages, but when you get into <laughs> statistics like that, then it, like my brain doesn't work. So sure. But I'm like, that's a lot of victims for sex trafficking. And like, yeah. in the intro, I kind of talked about um, like how could the world be different if thing like certain circumstances have been different. And like, imagine how their cases could have turned out if they had been like correctly investigated and labeled at the beginning and that's what i'm saying like i get that it takes finances i get that it takes manpower but i would much rather take something seriously and save four thousand children than to than to not you know what i mean because i'm afraid of like i don't know investigating something where the person will turn up I'd rather save the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's better to be like over, like over cautious. cautious. Over, like, I mean, yeah. Another article I found called Rethinking Runaways and Missing Children, which was super fascinating, by the way. And from <laughs> what I can gather, it was written by like some type of veteran, like law enforcement persons. Mm hmm. But this author talks about, like, the shift that we saw in how domestic violence cases were handled. Because they were talking about, um, like, the first domestic violence case that they ever went on. Like, they basically just took the husband to a hotel and was like, if you go back, you'll get arrested. Like, you know, there wasn't any, like, wow. punishment. Yeah. <laughs> And so now, you know, we've had a shift. So if there is like a domestic violence dispute, there's, you know, actual like consequences for that. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, they were saying we need to approach, have that same attitude towards missing children. And this is a long quote, but it was really good. So I included the whole thing. So that article says, quote, it is time that we have the same cultural shift in regards to runaways as in domestic violence. Instead of approaching the report of a voluntary missing young person as a delinquency matter, let's teach recruits and veterans alike to approach these cases from the standpoint of protecting the child. The actions taken by the first responders and call takers are the most important factors in protecting the missing child regardless of how they went missing. We know from over 100 case reviews conducted by the Amber Alert Training and Technical Assistance Program that in cases where the first responders failed to properly assess the circumstances, secure crime scenes, missed evidence or suspect information, the success rate in terms of successfully recovering the missing child plummeted. An estimated 71% of runaways are thought to have been endangered during their runaway episode. Factors such as substance dependency, use of hard drugs, sexual or physical abuse, presence in a place where criminal activity was occurring, or because they're extremely young age, 13 years old or younger, place even the voluntary runaway at risk one. Every runaway case should be considered in terms of potential threats facing the child, not the acts of the child. First responders and call takers need to determine if there are elements present that suggest the child is running from abuse in the home or if they have been lured away by a predator through the use of technology or grooming. Were they abducted or are they voluntarily missing but at risk to many dangers that threaten the runaway child? 
if we looked at it from the perspective of threats to the child rather than the delinquency of the child, we would see an improvement in how we approach these cases from the onset. Onset. End quote. Like, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, because it brings up great points because, you know, even if it looks like a child running away is voluntary, what are they running away from? And that's the big question. Exactly. And like, just because they, like you said, they voluntarily did it, or in Erica's case, she's voluntarily staying like away because she's like, quote unquote, rebellious, that doesn't make it any less of a risk for her. Because if she's right out doing things she shouldn't be doing, or with people she shouldn't be with, like, she's still in danger. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, yes, the person that wrote this article, yes, we support you. Absolutely. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, so anyways, off my soapbox. <laughs> Back to Erica's case. <laughs> um, so as the night turned into day, so remember her parents call like that night when she isn't home. So we're into the next day. There's still no sign of Erica. This is sounding a lot like Randy Leach. Yes, it is. And as a teacher, this pulls at my heartstrings, and I think it will you too, Allison. Um, but mm-hmm. Erica's friends recall their high school principal like pleading over the intercom for anyone with information mm-hmm. about where she may be to come forward to police. And that just is sad mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. But despite that plea, nothing significant came forward. There were, they were tight, either they were tight lipped, like in the Randy Leach case, or they Mm -hmm. really just didn't know anything because police did not make any type of significant breakthrough discovery. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be until weeks later they discovered Erica's car abandoned in between bells of hay on like a really country. Cause you all know, I can't say that R word. I'm not even <laughs> going to try to say it. <laughs> Rural. Rural. Um, so they find her car in between like hay bells on this country road. Okay. So that's weird. odd. I mean, we grew up in the country. You're not driving your car in a field through hay bales and then yeah, leaving it there. Yeah, and you're leaving your purse, your cash, your checks. Like, right. you're leaving all of that. It's No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. And it was only about approximately a mile from the video in Tan. So, if you remember, that was the last place. Most people agree that Erica was seen alive. Hmm. The chief, I know, like, what? 
it gets it gets a little stranger though because yeah, you're like what happened to get from the video in tan to this hayfield yeah and i never read like what is in this case that I, like what i'm telling you is like basically everything i read that this is it like hmm. we don't have a whole lot of information honestly okay Chief Deputy Bobby Scott from, like, their local police department told Dateline that authorities found Erica's car abandoned on a country road, like, later into that day. The keys were missing and her purse was still inside the car and it was completely untouched. However, there weren't, there was not anything in the car or around it. There was nothing that would help piece together what happened the night that Erica disappeared. So we have our purse mm -hmm. and... That's about it. So, obviously, she's not going to run away without her purse because she wouldn't have any cash. Like, she wouldn't have any means to get anywhere. Plus, why would she abandon her car if she wants to get away? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, if she was, like, the intent was that she's going to run away, like, you literally have a car. So, why would right. you abandon it? Like, you're going to get yeah. further in a car than on foot. Exactly. And Logan Johnson's article called Kentucky Community Still Fearful 20 Years After Erica Frazier Disappears. Deputy Scott said this about the evening that they found Erica's car. Quote, there was nothing in the car that would lead anyone to believe that there was foul play. We weren't even able to find fingerprints. There were no foreign hairs, nothing in the purse. This also, I thought, Allison, you would hmm. think is kind of strange. Erica's car was actually reported to police by a group of teenagers, which I thought was strange. Like, so it's so far off the road that people can't just see it? Yeah, I'm assuming that it's kind of, like, I picture it being hidden because bales of hay are big. And if this is a small car, it's a Pontiac, so it's not going to be that big. I think it could be hidden if it's placed the correct way. If it was found by a group of teenagers, then that means... This was a place that teenagers went. Right. So I don't know if, again, maybe like this is where the party comes into play. Like, is this where like a party may have taken place oh. and like yeah. the car was just left? I'm, I'm, you know, I get that the video in tan was what was in, you know, all of the, the different articles that you read. But the placement of the car and it being found by a group of teenagers Again, I would infer then that this is a place where teenagers hang because why else would they have, you know, you wouldn't just happen upon it in a hayfield that isn't frequented often. And I mean, so I didn't read, I didn't read like maybe like unless their family like owned the farm and they're like, I mean, that, that could be true or something. Right. That could be true. But it's worth looking into, I think. Yeah, I think it's an interesting theory. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, authorities have gone back several times um, to check the area. They really didn't find anything. They eventually, like weeks after finding Erica's car, um, and actually, I think I misspoke. Like, her car was found almost the next day. It was her keys oh, okay. that were found. Yeah, it was her keys that were found later during one of the searches. And they were only, like, 100 yards away from her car. So, like, how good did you search, dudes, that you missed the keys that were 100 yards away from her car? Right. But then, like, was she running? Was she 
because even if you're at a party, it doesn't make sense that your car would be found with your purse in it, but your keys are a hundred yards away. And everything that I read about the keys, it almost seemed like they had been hidden. Like it all, like I'm pretty sure in one article I read that they were under like a bush or under some leaves or something. So were people like playing a prank or were they, you know, like messing with her, hiding her keys so she couldn't like leave? In my I, mind, it just goes to someone was trying to hide the car. Like I feel like something's happened to Erica and we're hiding the car, but then why is there no evidence? So, well, and I guess I struggle because I get that there's no evidence, but at the same time, if you find a car that's hidden and you're saying that this teen ran away and wasn't, you know, smart enough to take the car and then you find the keys and she's left her wallet and purse behind, which again, doesn't make any sense if you're going to call it a runaway I don't see how you could say there's no sign of foul play. Because mm-hmm. to me, a car being hidden and the keys being hidden and her purse being left behind and all of that screams foul play to me. Right. Because if she's rebellious, so like if it's like the Randy Leach case and she just got drunk and was too scared to go home, like it's been weeks now. So she would right. have been home by now. Right. If the intention was she was abducted. And the car was just disposed. I feel like the keys were very poorly hidden. If they're only 100 yards away from the car, like why didn't you flush them down the toilet or something? Right. And like there were no fingerprints. But if she's running away, then she left everything she would need in the car. So it just doesn't add up in mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. So I really think we can rule out the rebellious teen and the teen that decided to run away from home. I think so. The Charlie Project actually labels her as missing and endangered. So I don't so, yeah. I, I don't know what that means. Like what does that mean? I would think endangered. I take that as like whether endangered by another person or by circumstances. Right, like that she's in need of help. Yeah, like sex trafficking or Something like that would be endangered as well, right? right? So, I guess just missing, that means could mean multiple things. She could have ran away or she could have been abducted. But I feel like, do they make the distinction between missing and abducted? I don't know if the Charlie Project does. Okay. Unless we know, you know, absolutely for sure. Like, if someone has you know, seen someone be abducted. So right. the legal definition of missing endangered person is, and this is from Law Insider, is a person who's believed to be in danger because of age, health, mental, or physical disability in combination with environmental or weather conditions, or is believed to be unable to return to safety without assistance. Hmm. So kind of like a, it's almost like a catch-all. I mean, right? It could, yeah, it could Erica needs help. Yeah, is in essence. Yeah. In an article called "Investigators Still Pursuing Leads in the 1997 Case of Missing Teen," there have been some recent tips into Erica's case. In fact, a recent tip in the case of a missing woman led Kentucky State Police investigators and cadaver dogs to a particular stairwell at a local school, searching for Erica's body. Oh, a stairwell. 
Yeah, but like, I feel like at a school. Yeah, they would not disclose like the actual location because they said that if something were to come up or like they found meaning, you know, something significant, that they wouldn't want that to like be leaked because it would be something that they would use to try to catch whoever was doing it. Like it would be something only the, if it was foul play, the killer would know. But again, that detail makes me wonder if there really were a party. Because why else would there be evidence of something at a school? Yeah, I think it's strange. And that tip came in in 2020. So, like, how would they have her sent? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you're talking now. Gosh. Yeah, 23 years like, later. What, 23 years or something? Wow. The search, they said, though, did come up empty for the moment, oh. according to this article. Hmm. For the moment. Mm-hmm. So that says to me, that seems to imply that they have other places that they might be going to next. Yeah, and one of the police officers said in that article, quote, there are so many different variables. The lack of information is probably the hardest thing in a case like this, end quote. So I feel like they have a lot more that they aren't telling in her case. It sounds like it. That same trooper says leads about Erica being buried in a stairwell aren't unfamiliar to authorities. The original investigator in her case received a similar lead years prior to that. Huh. Which is weird. So we know there's a stairwell. We just maybe don't know which stairwell. Yes. And then if we're looking for her body in a stairwell, why are we saying she's missing and endangered? Yeah. Or there's no foul play. I hope they've changed that ruling. I would ho- I would hope that they have, especially if they're searching for remains. I mean, that exact word was right. used. Yeah. Which means she's not, you know, gleefully living some, you know, new life somewhere. Right. And the police have said that they won't stop pursuing new tips or information that come in. So they're saying that they're dedicated to giving this family like peace of mind. He's that same Mm -hmm. officer said, everyone always wants answers. They deserve the family to know what happened to their loved one. I completely agree. So in Erica's case, police have actually never named an official suspect. There were a few possibilities that I found online and this was after like extensive digging Okay. Into like the seventh page of Google. (laughs) (laughs) So one person that we're going to talk about is Shane Shane Simcox, which is so hard for me to say so many S's. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Shane, who would have been considered one of Erica's friends from what I read online, gave an interview in November of 1997 to the Kentucky Post. And according to a blog I read, which I know is not a reliable resource, but we're going to talk about it anyways, called Mama Loves True Crime, which I <laughs> Good mean, name, though. Yeah. Mama does love true crime. So you got to know your stuff if that's the name of your blog. <laughs> but they said in that interview that he actually told police that he should be the prime suspect in Erica's disappearance. Like, did he say that because he was one of the last people to see her? 
That's exactly why he said it. Um, okay. So he claims that Eric had picked him up at his house and they went driving around. And he has actually never denied being with her that night. What is weird, which, you know, I know doesn't prove either way, is that he refused to take a polygraph test, even to clear his own name. Hmm. He said that he wouldn't do it because of how police have treated him. But they didn't name him as a suspect. But this is not his first run-in with police. Oh. Yeah, Shane actually had several past charges, which included burglary. He had also threatened a teacher and a child. And according to him, he told the teacher he was going to, quote, kill her. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so I get why he's nervous, because even if he's innocent, because of his past and those comments, it's it's not going to look good. Yeah, I would. I feel like he would be someone police would get stuck on. Like this is mm-hmm. this is him. This is him. Right. Right. Um. Either way, he still remains in many people's eyes the main person of interest in this case because he was the last person to see her alive. And mm-hmm. something else I read on one of the websites is that his current whereabouts are actually unknown at this time. Which, okay, I mean, could be because of guilt, but. To play devil's advocate, could be because everybody in this small town views him as, you know, the perpetrator. And it's hard to get past judgment and rumors unless he were to have left. Oh, exactly. And I think we've covered a few cases where. Like, family members or people that were proven to not be involved have actually had to move away from town where people couldn't move Mm -hmm. past it. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is a little odd, but in 1998, a self-proclaimed psychic named Sylvia Brown appeared on the Montel Williams TV show. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That was big. Oh. In that show, she stated that Erica was at the bottom of a lake near Brooksville. Hmm. I guess she had a a premonition. Despite the fact that this woman, you know, was a self-proclaimed psychic, police run with her theory and they search the lake, even though it was based solely on her, like, paranormal abilities, but nothing was found. Mm. She would go, so she would go on later again to the Montel show. And claimed that a specific man was connected to Erica's disappearance and that he was involved. And from what I read, this name man's name was Chris Minor. Hmm. So tell me about um, this Chris Minor. So there's not a whole lot about him. Really, all we know is that shortly after this Montel Williams show, um, he shot his wife to death and then killed himself. So does commit murder. Yeah, yeah, but he actually ended up being cleared by police, and this was even before the show aired. And, and I'm and his family actually went on to like sue over this incident because they said it was like slander, which I don't blame them because yeah, you know, like, you can't go on there and just like name somebody, be like, oh, Maggie Dameron robbed a bank, 
Yeah. You know, like you can yeah. <laughs> Okay. I had a vision Maggie robbed Krispy Kreme. <laughs> <laughs> she took all of the donuts. Yeah. All the glazed donuts are gone. <laughs> another person who I've read about in a possible connection to Erica's case is another Chris. And this I checked like 10 times because I have never heard this last name. And I was like, this has to be a mistake. But this okay. person's name is Chris Below. Oh. Like Below like, Zero. Hmm. And I kept saying like, are they saying like, Chris pictured below, like I'm missing Chris, something. Below. Yeah. Is there supposed to be a comma there? <laughs> but he was a suspect in a very similar case of some missing young women. They had dark hair like she did. They looked very similar in build. He actually was sent to prison in Ohio in 2004 for involuntary manslaughter and the disappearance of a girl named Catherine. Hmm. And he has been looked at there, like looked into thoroughly, says all investigators with Erica's case. And yet, obviously, if they've looked into it thoroughly and not named him a person of interest, then they couldn't find enough connection. Yeah, and that, I think, has frustrated police. Um, Something I did find in an article that wasn't about Erica, but it was about this Chris dude said that they took his saliva samples when he was in, like, while he's been in prison. After mm-hmm. he confessed to the murder of a young woman in Ohio, it was the investigators in Catherine's murder case that tracked down Chris in Evansville in 2003 and started questions about other unsolved cases in the region. He and Evansville Police Department Detective Brent Milton originally tried to link the Western Kentucky native to five missing or murdered women. And er- and Erica wow. has been added to that list. Wow. So she is still being looked at then. It makes it sound like in connection with this Chris Below. Yeah. Like, I, w- I mean, he potentially did this to a lot of other women. So this could almost be like a serial type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, So, Erica disappeared in October of 1997, and another girl that they are looking into vanished just two months later, and her body was eventually found in the Ohio River. So, maybe the psychic was close on two accounts. Oh, because the water. The water. Because it wasn't Erica, but it was somebody else potentially by this guy. And she said Chris, but she said the wrong last name. So maybe she knows more than what we gave her credit for. You know what? Maybe. Now, obviously, you can't go around just, you know, naming people. But maybe she was close. She on was two on counts. She could have been on to something. Mm-hmm. As you can tell, there are a few leads in Erica's case. Her parents have both died in the years since her disappearance. Due to a lack of evidence as to her fate, her disappearance is being investigated as a missing person rather than a crime, like as I had stated before. So I don't, like Allison, what are your final thoughts on Erica? So I'm I'm not exactly sure just because we don't have fingerprints and we don't have Um, a whole lot of evidence, but I'm inclined to believe that she did go someplace after the video and tan. Mm -hmm. 
potentially a party. I feel strongly with the continued connection to schools and stairwells that it could potentially have either been foul play involving other students or if of the theories that you presented I think this final one the Chris below is probably the most likely Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds like he was targeting I think you said young girls so potentially there's a connection to a school there if he you know if he were like looking at say high schools you know yeah picking out or stalking victims or something like that so um i'm not exactly sure what but i do not believe that it was voluntary and i do believe that she did meet with foul play yeah and just like us police had very little to go on so they've named no official suspects And that's really all we have for Erica. Mm -hmm. I picture many of our kids in the face of Erica Allison. You can look at her and see the willingness to change the world. It is like her eyes are holding all of her dreams. But sadly, things in Erica's life would come into play that would change the way she influenced the world. After Erica's death, many of her classmates no longer had the courage to go away to college. In a town of fewer than 700, a girl falling off the face of the earth just doesn't happen. Erica's hometown was shattered. Her classmates were left heartbroken. Amanda Lang, Erica's best friend, told Dateline that her life plans changed drastically after Erica disappeared. Suddenly, she was too afraid to leave her house or to even go away to college. She said, I was supposed to go to a local university for college on a graphic arts degree, and I was too scared to leave. So I stayed home and went to the community college, and I just never left. I was always too scared. She would go on to tell Dateline that she and Erica spent nearly every day together laughing and passing notes in class. They even shared a locker at their high school. That last day in school, though, just before Erica went missing, the two friends had argued. It would be Amanda's final memory with her best friend. Life is too short to feel that type of guilt. I hope that Amanda is able to finally tell Erica that she is sorry and that she treasured her friendship. Sleuth hounds, maybe we can help bring Erica home alive or otherwise. If you have any information in the disappearance of Erica Frazier, please call Kentucky State Police at 1-859-428-1212. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.